You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. We have been in a series right now called Exiles, A Living Hope, and Peter is speaking to a persecuted group in uh, modern-day Turkey um, as exiles, he says. An exile is somebody that's a minority in a majority land, somebody that has a faith in a hostile environment. And if you've been watching the news and being awake and aware as an American person, as a Christian, uh, the trajectory of the way the social climate is going is that um, probably our kids will grow up in a world where the world is more hostile to Christianity, not less. And so this is a very relevant message, I think, at all times to understand what it means to live as an exile, that that, that the human nature is to either fight or flee, is either try and take control or back down and assimilate. But, But Peter warns us and tells us that we can stand firm in Christ. And right now in your season, wherever you are at, you have the Spirit of God in you and everything you need for life and godliness to stand firm in your faith and not back down and not have to clap back and fight, but to stand firm in Christ. That is the way of the exile. So if you have uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, Matt's going to just uh, read to us here, and um, we'll get going. Read. I'm, I'm going to start reading. I'm, I'm Matt Cochran, if anyone doesn't know who I am. been here for a little while, so I'm going to read the scripture. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of the glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you, bear that, that you bear that name, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. All right, let's all say thanks be to God. Ready? Thanks be to God. All right, so um, uh, one of my memories of, um, of severe pain that I experienced when I was 10 years old was when I got hit right in the side of my neck with a coconut when I was in Thailand. Uh, I've only been, I'm not that cool, I've only been to Thailand one time, I barely remember it. The hottest thing I've ever tasted was in Thailand. If you're ever there, it's the green ones that are really going to get you. It's not the red ones. And so uh, just for the, for the record, I drank a lot of milk over there, and they don't have good milk. So um, it was out of nowhere. I was sitting there in one of these little tiki hut things that I'm sure over here the, the DHEC people would never have put up with. And I was sitting there and eating some spicy thing that I couldn't pronounce. And just out of nowhere, you ever get hit so hard that your vision and your hearing just go simultaneously like a television that just like fell off, like it just, and everything was like off. And um, I, it was like one of those little toddlers where it's like, you know, the distance between when you get hit and when you start crying, that silence point is actually how, how hard it hits, just like, ah, you know, like the silence is actually the thing that leads up to it. And so that was me, man. I got hit and I thought, was I shot? Like, is this, is the CIA here? Like, do I have a target on my back? Did I get hit? You know, like, 
When you get hit out of nowhere, it's worse than like if you expect it. I can't really decide. Which one would you rather have? Like the ability to expect pain that's coming up like a surgery or to just get hit out of nowhere? Like both of them are pretty bad and they both have their own bad flavor for like different reasons. Um, in my opinion, I would rather know the pain that's coming than just get hit out of nowhere, like unexpectedly. That's just my personality. I don't know how you are. I would just not, I just would rather know and like grit down and bear the pain. I remember one time I uh, forgot I had sprained my ankle in college um, on my way to the basketball game. I wasn't even playing basketball and I sprained my name and I don't have enough time to talk to you about it. Forgot that I'd sprained my ankle, jumped down from the bunk bed and landed on my ankle. When, when, when pain makes you want to th- throw up, that's a whole other level of pain and very unexpected, you know. Unexpected pain um, has trauma attached to it, whether it's physical or emotional, because unexpected pain has questions. Like when you get hit, you know, in dodgeball and you're not paying attention, you're like, what just happened? You know, like, did I just get shot? What, just, what is going on around me? In serious places, some of us in this room probably can remember, go back to the time when you were in the living room and your parents sat you down and told you that they were going to get a divorce. Do you remember this? And for some of us, maybe we saw it come in lots of fights. But for most of us as kids, we projected probably a positive you know, foresight because that's what kids do. And then we got hit with that news, okay, and we were not prepared for it. And the unpreparedness of that caused trauma because we had questions. We had questions. Why did I not know that? Why was I the last to know about that? What else do I not know? Some of you guys are thinking about this. You know, you get sat down, you know, um, and a a friend of yours, um, maybe you prayed for him, uh, maybe they went through cancer, and maybe you even stood up and testified, and there was a testimony about a healing, and the person got healed of cancer, and then turns out something else happens, or the cancer comes back, and then they die. And the question there is almost as painful as the news, because the question is, why did God let that happen? Why would God if he's so good, cause something good to happen and then take it away? What is the purpose of that pain? And so as people, it's not just the pain, it's the unexpected pain that really causes problems. And what we reel and spin for in unexpected pain is that voice of clarity. Mr. Wong, you've been in an accident, your family is okay, and the ambulance is on the way. This is what we want. We we want to get over the pain, we want to get through the pain, but even before all that, we have to get our bearings, we have to get a sense of clarity, and we long for that voice to come along and tell us, this is what's happened, this is why it's happened, and this is how we're going to move forward. And humans are resilient if they can get to the place of clarity, but without that clarity, we spin, we circle, and we long for that clarity. And so, and so 1 Peter is written to a group of exile believers that are at this point in the game. Um, some of them are being burned at the stake. This is before, you know, Emperor Nero and uh, some of the, I think I have a picture of um, the 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 flaming torches in Nero's garden that he was um, burning Christians alive in. Homes separated, jobs lost, land lost, future taken away, past taken away. And he's speaking to this group of exiles, and he's speaking to really all persecuted from Abel all the way to the prophets, all the way to people right now in Afghanistan, and even in the company that we sit in today, any number of pain. He's saying pain is a problem when we don't expect it. And the message that Peter has to them and to us about the pain we're enduring now or the pain that we're moving forward in the name of Christ is this, simply this, is... Don't be surprised, but rejoice because you bear the name of Christ. That's his message to you. He's not, he's not saying it's all going to go away. He's not saying it's all going to be perfect. He's not saying, he's not saying anything. He's just saying, hey, listen, Jesus was not joking when he said they'll hate you. 
They tried to kill Moses. They tried to kill Jesus. From the day he was a baby, they had a mission to go kill his life. Don't be surprised because Jesus was not joking. He was not messing around when he said, they, they will hate you for, for, for my name. If they hated me, they'll hate, they'll hate you too. But rejoice, and not happy, clappy, put a smile on your face, rejoice, but a deep joy. Choose a joy that is rooted in this fundamental fact, you bear his name. Take joy, rejoice, don't be surprised, you bear his name. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, if you have it. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. That is an innuendo to the picture that you saw over my shoulder. That fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something were strange happening to you. But verse 13, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. I grew up in a big megachurch. There was 10,000 people at this church. And at the heart of that church was a a man that just passed away recently um, with a wonderful gift and a wonderful heart and a wonderful character. He finished well. His name was Mark Beeson. And every summer, Mark Beeson, however big the church was, would take his summer and host something called Camp Adventure in the hills of Michigan there with a lake and a pond and a diving board. And for 300 middle school kids, he summer apart for every single summer to preach the gospel of 300 kids. And he was amazing. I just would love just to listen to him present the gospel over and over again. And he would talk about how we were little sheep and he would like make these little sheep noises, and then he'd walk behind the thing. And his big message to the kid was always, you gotta, you're turning your feet, you're turning your feet, and it's baby steps, baby steps, away from, away from your past and into Christ. And, and I remember uh, one of the volunteer meetings, there was this light bulb that clicked on for me when we'd sit there, and it was probably about 30 college students that sat there. And, um, and he was a fantastic preacher, but in those meetings, he stopped preaching, he just talked to us. You know what I'm talking about? So this, this leader guy, you would really get to see his heart. 10,000 people at this church, big fancy name, blah, 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 and everybody talks about him and stuff, but at the core, you see 300 middle school students, and at the core of that, you see about 30 college students, and at the core of that, it's just one man with his stupid dad shirt on for 300 kids, and he's just talking about the gospel, and he says, let me talk to you for a minute, and this is the main point that I remember. He, I always remember he said that. He just, he, he went through the whole thing that he was talking about, whatever it is, announcing, telling us how to clean up our bunks, and then at the very end, he gave this one little, this one little send-off speech, and he just said, remember, guys, go love the babies. This is what he said. That's what he said. Go love the babies. I thought, middle school kids, these kids are not babies. They don't, they don't, their mouths don't sound like they're babies, you know? They'd be mouthing <laughs> off, you know? Somebody gets them out of all of these kids. Like, uh, he said, love the babies. And I knew at that moment that that was his way of showing us, or the Lord's way of showing us in him, that at the core of that church, at the core of that youth group, at the core of those volunteers, was just one man who committed his life to go love babies. The pharaohs and Pharisees, they come to kill babies, but Jesus comes to save them. And, I, and, I, and it clicked in my mind at that point. It, it went from, it's easy to just, just kind of associate with the Granger Community Church, the big 10,000-person church that everybody's talking about. It's easy to associate, but it's a different thing to participate. There's a moment that clicked for me, and I said, wait a minute, this guy's not preaching at me, he's talking to me, and he's saying, I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this. I do something that adds, to, adds value to this. And if I don't do what I'm supposed to be doing and call to be doing, then I let this thing down. There's a moment that I stop just watching Right? And I started participating. And so here's what he's saying. He's like, I want you to understand that that feeling of pain is telling you, you are participating in the sufferings of Christ. He wants that light bulb to go off and you're in my head. When you feel that pain, that pain is telling you something. And that pain is telling you something is that you are not just associating with the brand of Christ, right? You're participating in the actual thing about Christ. 
And so here's the idea is that, I don't know if you guys um, grew up and you, and you hated coffee, you know, and you couldn't imagine why you smelled your mom's breath and she spilled it all over her shirt and you're like, I don't know why you would ever do that. And now I'm a full-blown five cups a day coffee guy, you know, like the taste buds change. And, and, and so I think what Peter's doing here is he's trying to get us to change the taste bud that suffering is associated with glory here because it means we bear his name. We are a people and really a nation obsessed with names. You know that? We're obsessed with bands, brands, and names on bricks. We want to matter. We want to be a part of something. And we want to tell you all about that cool band that you never heard of before you ever heard of it because I was there first on the front row when Maroon 5 wasn't even cool, or whatever it is. You know, like I want to be associated, showing how old I am, with the thing that people don't know about because I want to be associated. Psychologists call that burging and corfing. It means we name drop. And that means on the way in, we want to name drop on the people so we can ride on the coattails to be associated with something great. Or if they fall, we drop that name like we never knew it, right? So either way, on the way in or the way out, we drop names. We want names because we want to be associated. And Jesus is saying, hey, you know, I had a, you know, you might have had a high school superstar basketball player like Jerron Cornell at my high school. They have a poster up right now of his name in my high school because he shot a three-pointer at the end of some game in 1994 to win the championship. Imagine the amount of glory attached to Jesus' name in heaven. That's the name you bear. I want to share a couple of statistics with you um, that are encouraging. Don't trust the news all the time. Did you know that? Don't trust the news to spin the narrative. <laughs> if you don't know that, oof, uh, you're not paying attention. <laughs> One third of everyone who has ever come to Christ since he ascended has done so in the last 30 years. Don't pay attention to the, to the narrative. Don't pay attention to your bubble. Each week, one million people accept Jesus Christ as their, as their Lord and Savior, and it is estimated that an average of 1,200 people have become Christians in China every hour since we started church. And I want you to understand that every one of those numbers, according to the gospel, is a name to Jesus. And every one of those names is saved by the only one name, by the name of Jesus Christ. Do you know how much glory is attached to Jesus' name in heaven? How much glory is attached to Harriet Tubman? Schindler? Think about Jesus. We're not talking about saving people out of concentration camps. We're talking about saving people from eternal destruction, from evil, chaos, and the world. Think about the amount of glory on his name. And he's saying, listen, when you experience suffering, you're a participant, and you are bearing his name. You've got glory attached to your name. Don't settle for Adidas or Puma or or. or Whatever it is, brand name, Tesla, do not, do not settle for some subsidiary name. Set, like, your name is attached to glory. The halls of heaven are ringing with the name of Jesus and yours. Hebrews 11 says that your name is attached to this Messiah mission. Christian means Messiah. You are a Messiah person and your name is attached to that glory. You have stake in that name. And, and Jesus says that he talks to his Father in heaven about you. What if Michael Jordan was talking to his family right now about how Oliver Wong beat him in some one-on-one, which didn't happen. It'd be crazy, right? He talks to the Father about you. You're not lacking for a brand name. You're not lacking for an identity because he talks to his Father in heaven about you and your name is associated. And so what Peter is doing is he wants to change your taste buds to understand that suffering does not mean defeat, but it means glory and victory in his name. And you should rejoice, not be surprised, befuddled, or even grumble, but you should be rejoicing every time you get a taste of suffering, every time you get an opportunity to suffer for the name of Christ, because it means one thing. It means that you're participating in his glory forever and ever. It says, it says you're going to experience a joy right now of his glory 
that you will be overjoyed with in eternity. And so this is what he's, he wants us to understand is that there's, there's this participating of suffering that's attached to glory. Now, verse, uh, verse 15 has a big if to it, okay? And I want to pay attention to that if. I'm going to read it. It says, verse 15, if you suffer, you should not be a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. So he went from the Alpha of the Omega on that when he ran the gauntlet. He was like, if you killed somebody as a serial killer, right, or you gossiped, he's just going, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about you suffering because you're, you know, we're jerks, you know, because we are sometimes. And we're not just, and, and there is a kind of James suffering that says, consider, you know, pure joy that you suffer for all different kinds of things. And so there is a suffering that we experience in all day-to-day life. And in that suffering, we can persevere and grow in character. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about specifically a set-aside glory for those of us and in the instances in which we have suffered for the name and the nature of Christ. Look what it says. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear, bear that name. Okay, so I think in little passages of scriptures like this, we go through this whole process of kind of like this, this guilt or this insecurity, like maybe I'm not a Christian and I didn't suffer. Do I suffer enough? And is that suffering? Am I just being a baby? And so I just think that this passage gives us a little bit of groundwork. I think there's a good, good news thing in the sense of if it doesn't say every Christian in all times needs to suffer or needs to suffer under the thumb of persecution. It's saying that some Christians, that sometimes, and maybe you and I potentially, because we don't control the ebbs and times of the seasons, we may have an opportunity to taste in that kind of a suffering. And if we do good and have evil return to it, then we should rejoice in that because we are partaking in the sufferings of Christ. But that does not mean to chase persecution. And that certainly doesn't mean to be a jerk, to try and measure your you know, barometer of Christianity by how many people you tick off in the name of Jesus, because maybe that's not the nature of Christ. It might be the name of Christ, but not the nature of Christ. So just you know, sounding off on Facebook to get a bunch of attention is not necessarily what he's talking about here. So I think there's two challenges implicit in here, and that is the name challenge and a nature challenge, and I just thought maybe you would consider it with me. Uh, I read a statistic today that said that only one half of 1% of all American Christians will ever share the gospel with anybody. Only one half of 1% of all Christians, you and I, will ever share the gospel with anyone that they love. And so I don't think it's saying chase persecution, but it it does seem to say leave a chance for it to happen. Like if I have a world and and a life that I live out and the narratives that I talk about and spin and celebrate and praise that does not include the name of Jesus as my number one brand name, I have some thinking to do. Because it's not just the nature, it is the name. They are being saved, we are being saved by one name. Not by any pastor's name, not by any brand name, not by Brene Brown, not by John Piper, not by Bill Johnson. We are being saved by one name. And his name needs to come out of our mouth. And so I have just a quick challenge for you, okay? Uh, I call it a word, a sentence, and a paragraph. If you, in your back of your mind, can say to yourself, I've ne- I, I can't think of this week that I ever said the name of Jesus, even said his name, one word, or anything about the Lord to anybody, I want to challenge you to just do a little product placement in there, <laughs> just to drop, just to name drop the right name. Just a quick challenge. Think about that. Not that you're chasing persecution, but in a fitting moment, when you know that there is a hope that you have, and they're asking about the hope that you have, to not get on a, on a platform and force somebody, you know, Bible thump somebody down into the ground and judge them, but just bring up his name. Like, you know, the Lord's really been good to me in my house. Just, if you've never been that person, today might be, this week might be your week. The Lord has been really good to me with my children. I'm thankful. Hey, your kids are so great. The Lord's been really good. I'm blessed. You know, whatever it is. Maybe you're not, you've never been that person. 
And that's something that you might consider this, that you are down here under a name and you represent a name and there is glory in talking about that name a lot. I want to consider just bring up a word. If you're a person that maybe does bring up the Lord's name or Jesus or the Spirit, uh, consider a sentence. A sentence, you know, goes from just like, yeah, the Lord is good to, yeah, like, um, I was really convicted this week because um, I hate that Jesus was just showing me unforgiveness in my heart, and, and this is, he has given me a lot of peace because of, of what he's done. Just a sentence that explains. A paragraph, I think, if you think about this name challenge, would be a little bit more of an, you know, a testimony. And maybe you think about the way that Carol Ann just shared that testimony and think about what that sparked in you and what your testimony is and how that might spark in another believer or in the, in the life of, a, of an unbeliever to be bold and to create a chance, to create a chance. It's, it's, it's not... Um, imposing according to the gospel, and it's not hateful and not wrong to share the good news of Jesus in everyday life. It is always a good idea to share the gospel. And so I just want to challenge you, if you've never been a person to even bring up one word about the gospel, then I want to challenge you this week to bring up just one word. And if you've never brought up a sentence, you've brought up a word, but, but a sentence, that'd be something, right? It'd be something else to, to give a chance for that, or a paragraph, what if it was an entire story. Now, the second challenge I want to talk about is a nature challenge. We are, we are, persecuted in the church, not because of being jerks, but because of the aroma of Christ on our life, because we're walking in the nature of Christ, not as a murderer or as a meddler, right, but as a Messiah person. And so this is important to us right now, because right now, as Caroline is talking about, we're in a season that we're having to wrestle with this whole kind of government reach thing, okay? Can we talk about this for a second? The government reach thing, okay? And so in the middle of that is you've got the masks and the vaccines, right? And then you've got, and you've got pronouns. These are hot button topics, and in our church and in the church at large, we need to do good within the church to major on the major, majors and minor on the minors. And we have to have discourse to be able to disagree in a diverse group of anything other than the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We need to major on the majors and minor on the minors. Okay? So I have three categories in my head, and the categories are this. There are things to divide on, there are things to discuss, and there are things that individual Christians to decide. Okay? And so there's a lot of topics that I have firm beliefs on, but I'm not going to get up here on Sunday and talk about them because I believe that the Christian is individually responsible to go to the Lord and have a clear conscience about it. There are things that, like I talked about with the Holy Spirit or things like um, uh, gender, for example, and that last one, I do have convictions on that one. That's a discussion issue. I would like to discuss it with you because I believe it's important to iron out the idea of image bearing within gender roles, okay? But uh, on the divide side, there's very little that the church of Christ should divide on. And we need to have a discourse and understand, have a deference there of, 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 of the complexities of those issues. But on those three things, this is just what I want to say. I want to encourage you, if you're at the boundary line of friction when it comes to those three areas about the nature of Christ in that, that, that you are on that boundary line of what it means to speak the truth in love, I want to encourage you to go back and read the book of Daniel, right? Daniel is not just a sermon, but it's a testimony, a model of what it looks like. And if you guys just remember the highlights about Daniel, Daniel is simply this. Daniel would not praise, he would not pray to the pagan god, he would not pray to the pagan god, and he wouldn't ingest and eat. So those are some discussion points about where the line was. However, he wasn't a jerk, and he wasn't a meddler, and he always honored Babylon, right? He always honored Nebuchadnezzar and loved him, right? And prayed for him and, and interpreted his dreams. And so he wore the clothes, he allowed his name to be changed, Right? And he, um, he uh, I'm trying to think of the other one that I had in my notes. Let's see, he allowed his name to be changed and um, he, wore, he wore the Babylonian clothes and did the Babylonian language, right? So right there is this issue of submission uh, with resistance. And so there's a line right there and, and Peter's saying, when you stand on that line, expect friction. But here's the point, here's my point. 
Wherever you are, if you are standing on that line in opposition or if you're okay with whatever it is that's going on in the government, okay, here's what he's saying. No matter what you're doing on that line, the one thing you can't afford not to do is rejoice. The one thing that Daniel never modeled for us is a grumbling spirit. He never made himself a victim. He never complained about Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and tied to blah, blah, blah. He was gentle and kind, the way that 1 Peter said, in gentleness and kindness, and he rejoiced as he stood firm. And so the opportunity here is to suffer, but it's to suffer with the attitude of Christ. And the attitude of Christ is, those people are not in charge of me. The person that's in charge is not really in charge. I have nothing to fear and everything to gain and nothing to lose. And so as I stand firm to be persecuted and maybe lose my job and maybe lose my hours and maybe get persecuted, I'm not going to complain and spew and be bitter. I'm going to rejoice because that's better for him and that's better for me. That's the model. And so if you're a Christian, let me say this too. If you're a Christian and you disagree with another brother or sister for the reason they're persecuting, in my opinion, you should be more celebratory about their conviction to stand firm in the middle of persecution and rejoice with them rather than judge them for what they're doing. Because that's a greater testimony than whether we wear masks in the first place or not. The greater glory here is somebody standing firm in their faith according to their conviction of God with kindness and gentleness, rejoicing in all kinds of suffering so that they can bear the name of Christ. Because what other name is there to bear except for his? Don't be surprised when you encounter all kinds of persecution, when you, the heat turns up, when there's friction. Why would, you be, like, why would that surprise you? That shouldn't, surprise, that shouldn't baffle you. You shouldn't be like, I can't believe. He's going, this is day one, man. This was the Sermon on the Mount. Did you fall asleep at the end of the sermon? Okay, You will be persecuted because I was persecuted and you're part of me. And you bear his name. And you bear his nature. And don't go chase persecution, but if it comes your way, if it follows you, rejoice and be glad because you're participating in something that lasts forever. You are tasting a joy that you will be overjoyed with for eternity's sake. So he comes down and he interprets the whole thing really through the gospel. That's really the whole point. Okay, it's not about the mass and the vaccination and all this stuff. It's verse 17. He says, for it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if you... Begin, if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? In other words, he quotes Proverbs here. If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become for the ungodly and the sinner? So what Peter is saying is that ultimately it's never between you and them anyways. It's between you and him. And judgment in the gospel is not for the sake of destruction to the household of God, but for the formation. In other words, a test is to reveal what's real about you. You're being revealed in your test for what's really there. And it's good to be revealed now because you don't want to get revealed later. He's revealing you right now for what name you really want to bear. And so it's like a metal that a fiery ordeal comes across your life and burns away everything temporal to reveal what's really there underneath the surface the name that you're really choosing to bear. And so therefore, tests in the language of the gospel is not to fail you, but to form you. Say that again. The test is here for you today. It's not to shame you and to fail you, but to form you. Because he wants to form you in the gospel. And so I can't help but think, but on the original manuscripts of this letter, that we wouldn't have seen the tears of Peter fall on this paper. Because Peter's not telling you to to do as he says and not as he does. He's telling you to not do as he used to do. 
Y'all remember Luke 22? This is a testimony that's not just a sermon. This is what he's saying. Let's go to Luke 22, verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, the one on which the church was going to be built. Verse 55, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them, and a little servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow is with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied the third time, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. The reason why I believe that Peter cried over this letter because it wasn't just a sermon or a prophecy. It was personal. It was a testimony. And Peter sat by that fire and wept. And I would imagine would weep at a letter like this because it's in that moment that he thought that he had failed Christ. That he, he thought that he had not born the name well. But the context of the gospel helps us understand the perspective. It gives us a clarity for the questions we have in moments of trauma. In your moment and mine, this is what Jesus said to Peter just 30 verses earlier, Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. It's the hustle and the bustle. It's easy to kind of forget the truth in the middle of the chaos and the clutter Oftentimes, the truth of the Lord, the conviction of the Lord has already been preached to us. It's been deposited in our heart, and we just forget it. Like, it's there. It's just that we forget it. And so, Jesus had already spoken to him about this very thing. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen the brothers. He replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answers, I tell you. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Jesus says in verse 32, and to you, I've prayed for you. I've been thinking about your name. I'm the one that came up with your name. Your name is written in my heart, and I pray for you. And, and the good news about your life and the kingdom of God is that it's not based on what you do. It's based on what I prayed. And if I prayed, it's already been settled on the count of my name because I pray the prayers that work and the prayers that matter because I'm a great high priest. That high priest is about to shuffle me off into that. He doesn't know anything about prayer. I know prayer, and I speak to the Father, and I talk to him about you so you can't fail me. This is the idea. The idea about the judgment of God that comes to hit the household first is it does not come to fail us but to form us because Jesus has prayed for you and I that we cannot fail. Do you hear me? He says, you will not fail because I have prayed for you, and the faithfulness of God overcomes the unfaithfulness of man every time. And so this moment of testing and judgment by this fire and your fire today in the level of persecution when the heat turns up and you deny Christ in your heart and in your nature, he says, good thing it's not about you because I prayed for you already and you're not failing, I'm forming you. I'm getting ready for you to preach to 3,000. I'm getting ready for you right now 
to write a letter to 120 disciples in Greenville, South Carolina that don't even know you to encourage the brethren because when you turn away, it's just getting you ready so you can turn back. I'm getting you ready to give your life to pay the highest price on the upside down cross. Because every moment of judgment is a moment to turn and it's a moment of mercy because it doesn't come to fail you, it comes to form you, right? And so this is ultimately what it's not about you and them, it's about you and him. And it's there to form you because tests come to reveal what's really real about you. When the heat turns up, we see what's really there. And here's why this matters. Because at the end of the day, it all comes down to the name. The name that you praise is the name that you believe will ultimately save you. And so ultimately the problem is if we live a life that praises the brands of our day, good brands, Brene Brown, you know, TED Talks, John Mark Comer, good brands. I mean, good people that are associated with Jesus, but does not participate, right, in the work in the name of Jesus. This is the idea. He's not trying to test you to fail you. He's trying to test you to form you because the name that you preach is the name you believe saves. And he wants you to know and he wants me to know beyond a shadow of a doubt in the place of persecution that his name is worthy of praise. He wants us to know in that testing fire that his name is the only one that can ultimately save. And so I want to read, I just want to read in a good way. Jesus preaches good, hard sermons. Sometimes you just have a lot of good time Charlies that tell you a lot of good things to pat you on the back and just build you up in the ego sense, okay? And I just want us to, I mean, it's my job, it's our job to speak all of the scripture, the full counsel of scripture, okay? So I'm going to probably guess there's maybe not a lot of churches right now reading this verse. (laughs) Matthew 10, verse 32 through 33 Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before before my Father in heaven. I don't believe that this passage is saying that if you preach enough times to your friends and neighbors, you're going to get saved. I think there's plenty of people that preach a lot of sermons that aren't as close to God as they think. And I don't think it's also neither saying that if you never preach another sermon in your life or never tell anybody about Jesus that you're not going to be with him forever. What I am thinking it's saying is that the name that you praise is the name that you believe saves. And he's going to test you and test you and test you until the only name on your lips is not any thinker or writer or blogger or sports agent until all the name that you have to praise left with your breath is Jesus because that's the best name that you can get on your heart and on your lips. He's going to test you and test you and test you until that purpose is realized because no other name can save you but Jesus. And that's the only thing that's going to last the fires. And so he's too good, and you are too important, and this this Messiah movement that is rolling out and saving, rescuing and ransoming children, saving babies today in his name, is too important for you to cover it up with some other name. It is the name of Jesus and only the name of Jesus for his church. And that's what he wants. He's going to burn it and form it until it's right with him. And so he encourages us with these two words. I'll just point to us as as takeaways at the very end. First Peter, wherever you're at, So then, those who suffer according to God's will, not always, but if it comes your way, if you suffer, if it comes your way, don't be surprised. Rejoice. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue. The two words that pop out to me is, if you're a turn your back, or if you're in a turn your back moment, That moment of tears, that moment of shame, then take heart. He's not failing you, he's forming you. He's only showing you what was there. 
and he wants to reveal the real name that you're calling out. And so if you're in a place that has turned around, just know he's calling you back, he's prayed for you, you will not fail, and he is turning you back so that you might encourage the brothers the same way that Peter did. And so he's telling you right now, if you've seen Iranian Christians being persecuted, you've seen those orange guys on the beach, that assassination thing on that video, those pastors, right, that fought for who would die first, then be convicted, inspired, don't be afraid, and don't be surprised. And even in your heart of hearts right now, maybe it will never come for you, but if it ever comes for you, commit to your creator. Say, I'm turning back. I'm not afraid, and there is no other name that can save me, and so it's, it's not just for my neighbor, it's for me that I will praise the name because the name that prays, the name that we praise is the name that saves. And so if you're a person that is just, just a, a seeing without tasting suffering, you've seen suffering and you maybe are a little bit apprehensive about it and it's scary to you, understand that it was scary to Jesus too. And it shouldn't surprise us. It's part of the process. Jesus came, he died, he was buried, he resurrected again, and he's coming back for you. And so don't be surprised, rejoice. It has come your way so you can participate in the sufferings of Christ. And so if you are seeing without tasting, commit. But if you are tasting, there's just one simple word, just continue in the fullness of that joy. That's a good joy. And there is a taste, a refined taste in the mouth of a Christian that can taste suffering and give glory. Not grumble, but to give glory. Not grumble and complain and moan and ache. This is your moment. Don't grumble about a moment of glory, but rejoice. That many names are being saved and you're a part. You're a part of that gospel. And so if you've turned away, then commit. And if you've turned back, then encourage the brethren. I love that in the very first chapter of uh, 1 Peter, the very, you know what the very first words are? He says, don't have shame, but, but praise. The very first word in 1 Peter chapter 1 in the beginning of his letter is, praise be God the Father, the one who took me out of shame that I can praise. And praising the name of Jesus is worth any type of fire that we've ever, ever gone through or experienced. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.